welcome to this episode of Messy Can't Stop Her, the podcast where we share the stories of women's resilience through chaos, crisis, and the challenges of life. I am your host, Judith Kambia Obatusa, JKO. Last week, we started our conversation with Annette Reed, who shared the beginnings of something so beautiful that turned into something so painful, her relationship. And this week, we'll be getting into the second and final part of that interview. You may be wondering, why am I cutting some of the interviews into into shorter bits? Well, I got the feedback that they were too long. So because the stories are important, I decided to make them shorter. I would still like to get your feedback on that. If you prefer the stories told complete in one episode, please let me know and I will do what works for all of us. So let's get into our conversation with Annette Reed. So it went from words to physical now, to, to making you scared. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And that one time I woke up in the morning and I went downstairs to make breakfast and he came downstairs and I said to him, I don't know what happened last night, but I said, it cannot happen again. And I said, it's okay. I said, men leave women all the time. I said, if you don't want me, it's okay, but you don't get to abuse me because my mother told us when we were growing up, don't let a man abuse you, even when I'm in my grave. So I knew that, and I knew that my father loved and cared about me. So I had a reference, and I said, this is not what I want. So at the time, I told him that I was going to leave, and he started to cry. He cried, and he cried, and he started to cry, and he said, you don't understand. You're all I have. He's a stereotype. In the, <laughs> He's the real thing. <laughs> Everything they say about them is just, just, it fits. Right. They all share the same characteristics. Yeah, the characteristics are just so, just different colors. Another thing, somebody said to me, why did you stay there that long? And I said, there would be a long period of time where nothing happened. Normal. Long period of time where he was nice. I could get anything, have him do anything. I mean, I didn't need much, like I said, but there was a long period of time. Nothing happened. He went to church with me. Nothing happened. And I think it was during those times that he had his girlfriends. Oh. Right? Yeah, he, he had, had It was also he had unfaithful. Multiples. multiples. And, and I understand that that was... Not, the woman he's married to now, you know, was the, the, the last mistress in, in the marriage. I was teaching her to drive. And, and until I saw her, I saw her one night outside my driveway outside in his vehicle just by coincidence yeah so I I did not put myself in a good place because I was more concerned about um telling someone what I was going through because I felt so ashamed shame kept me there longer than anything shame and so the feeling and the feeling that for, for a long time, I mean, I was married to him for 12 years, you know, um, 
I was married to him for 12 years. And in the 12 years, we built a business. We accomplished a lot. We bought property in Florida, um, financially got better. Like I said to you, there would be a long stretch of time where nothing happened. And I think a big part of why nothing happened was because he realized that I was going to push back. You know, I was not a woman that surrendered to being treated badly. So I was really trouble for him. Mm. You know, I was not somebody that he could treat badly and I would be okay with it. I would challenge it. I would question it. And so I believe that may have been the reason for him to just lay low for a long time. And it could be years. Like he would want to do something. He would look at me. He always look at me like I smell. <laughs> he would look at me. Like Thank you irritate him. Mm. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I and, I, and, I said to, and I told him, one time he told me, oh, somebody spoiled you. And I said, no, somebody loved me. Right? And it would irritate him because uh, no matter what he did, you know, I had references. I would hold on to those references. And I would tell him, listen, if you want to go, you go. But you don't get to abuse me. Wow. So you could go for a year and things would be fine. And then suddenly, yes. wow. Yes. That's quite unusual because many people don't have it for a year of peace and things mm-hmm. looking good. Mm-hmm. People have it mm-hmm. in really like bursts of trouble so that the lady is on edge all the time. But in your case, he seemed to have issues and he, he had the other women outside to take his mind away yes. from Yes. Right. I started to experience what you just talked about when he forced us into this house. He kept forcing me to move to Long Island and I did not want to because we already had a house that we renovated and lived in for six, six um, years. And our daughter, her daughter was born. And another thing he did, too, was, you know, my daughter was born from in vitro and the first round failed in the dish. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother. And he said, oh, you did not really try. You know, looking back on all of this, he, he can be very supportive. He goes to the doctor's office. They, My doctor think he's the best thing. He's such a good guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I tell her, her doctor now, the fertility doctor, that what happened to me, he would not believe it because he thought this guy was so nice, so good. Oh, wow. Right. But it started to force me out to Long Island. And I started to tell him that I don't feel comfortable here with some of the things that you're doing. Right. You're getting more brazen in 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 how you talk to me. But it was always gone. Our, our house was like a bus stop. He was in and out, in and out, like a bus stop, in and out, in and out. He worked at night. He parties. He he had the driving school in the day because I met him with the driving school in the day. And he was but he was he never seemed uh, like he wanted to sit and read, you know, because he would always tell me. He doesn't sit and read and he was always on the move, you know, always doing something, always on the move. And I think that kind of behavior um, does not allow him to sit with his thoughts, his feelings, because he was Mm. always on the move. He was always looking for the next thing to do, whether it was to pleasure himself with hanging out with the guys who grill and and drink rum and or it was to be at somebody's house. Right. The amount of women that I found out that he had, even when we moved to Long Island here, and I was like, I, I did not know I was sleeping with the enemy. 
Wow. Because I literally was. When I moved over here and how he's going to get me, and this is very important, he's going to get me in a moment when I was weak. When I had my daughter, um, I suffered postpartum depression. Mm. And it's in that moment that he saw that I didn't push back. I didn't stand up for myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I just didn't care anymore because I was saddled with that. Mm-hmm. And it's in that moment he started again on this house on Long Island. And mm-hmm. when we finally got this house, I walked out here and I said, we're not buying this house. And he said, no. And he went behind my back and put $15,000 down to hold it. And I said, we did, we said we were not buying this house. Why are we buying it? And he said, oh, I just want to see what would happen. And then he got the bid and I said, so what's going to happen now? And he, you're going to lose your money because we're not buying this house. And he got very angry and he even swear at me. You know, I'm not losing my effing money or whatever. It's not our money. Another thing I noticed after the marriage, and we started building. We there's no we anymore. It's I. It's my house, my money. But it's two of us building. But it's I. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm no longer a partner. It's him because he has to let his friends and his people think that he's the one that is creating this life, right? He has to feed his ego to say, hey, it's me, right? Look at me, it's me. He loves attention too. Look at me, it's me. I was the quiet one, reserved one in the background who really don't care for people to see me, right? And he's the one who has to be seen. Yeah. Wow. I went to to a seminar once when I started to get help. Mm -hmm. And there was a lady there who um, had a book and she was reading the book and it's called, Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. Mm -hmm. And I started to read that book and I saw him in it. I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's him. Mm. That is me. That's him. And that book really jump-started me, really accelerating, you know, my need to find help for myself. Right? Mm. Before, I, I was like, what do I do? I know this is not supposed to happen to me. And I would talk to my girlfriends about it. You know, I didn't keep quiet, but just with my girlfriend, I would talk to her about it and another girlfriend. And but I didn't have I didn't have language to put to what I was experiencing. I didn't know that so many women went through that. Hmm. You know, my mother told me years later when I asked her, why were you always telling us not to let a man abuse us? I'd never seen a man abuse you. And she said, no, but one abused my mother. And I told myself that I would not let it happen to me. And when I started having my girls, you know, that's when I decided to tell you from the time you were little. Right. So my mother was really planting a seed. And that helped helped me tremendously, because if I didn't have that, I probably would still be here with him. Because every time I make a move to leave, he will quiet down. Right. He moved out to live with someone, then he came back in. He moved out of this house to live with another woman, then he came back in. That woman is still in his life because he got married to another woman and he claimed that that's the woman he should have gotten married to. So I was like, what I Mm. thought I was getting involved in is not what I got involved in. And there was no part of me 
that could have yeah. stayed there. That could have stayed there or else it would have broken me or I would have had to learn how to live with that, you know, because there were good parts to it. You know, we built a business. We're great in business. Yes. There were good parts to it. But um, financially, I was taken advantage of. You know, I was decimated financially. Wow. Um, yeah, because when you have your extracurricular activities and it involves women and partying, you are going to spend extra money. You are going to spend money that mm -hmm. you need to take care of your family and other people. And yeah. so the pressure came for me to know, you know, whatever I was making, my paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, I had to put more in to pay for this house, to take care of that. You know, it was a good provider, but it was also provided for other people. Okay. So you ended up not having savings because you were busy spending everything, trying to keep up your home and you had a daughter and all of that. So what was the 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 the, the straw that broke the camel's back that you're like, you know what? I'm done. But it was a gradual process. You had started getting help from the domestic violence coalition. And then after some time, talk talk to us, talk to us about some of those support that helped your mind to come to the place of I can't do this anymore. And the steps you took to separate yourself from the whole situation and move forward. When I was moving in this house with him, I knew I was going to be isolated. And I suspected that he's forcing me out here because I did not know anyone out here. I did not. We work out here, but I didn't have any family. I didn't have any friends. So I was afraid to come and I would not come. And one day he packed up everything from the new house in a U-Haul with my brother-in-law and dropped it in the garage here at this house while the workmen were working in here. So the first two nights on Long Island, I did not have anywhere to sleep. I had to sleep in the business place in January when the heat lowered to 55 degrees. Right? So I started to, no, not with my child. No, you know, what am I doing here? And then once I started um, going to the domestic place, and then when he choked me, the, for me, it was like, he's going to kill me. If I stay here, he's going to kill me. And I started thinking, I have to get out of here. My sisters were in the other, my sister, my niece, and my brother were in the other house. And he got a hold of them because they were no longer supportive of me. They were supportive of him because he was the party guy. Mm -hmm. To the barbecue with him. He was the good guy. He was the fun guy, right? I was the one who had boundaries. I was the one who had, um, who was know, responsible. Responsible. Yes, I've always been responsible. You had weight, the burden of the responsibility of the home on you. Why yeah. he party that yeah. had fun? Yeah, had a good time. Had a had a great time. You know, he when he turned fifty, I was living right here with him. And he had a party in the Bronx and I was not invited. I was not invited. And he had a girlfriend there. So it, it's like I started to disconnect myself from him. Long before I left him, I started to disconnect myself from him because I realized that I had to preserve myself, you know. And then that made him upset because he would say to me, you don't love me. And I said, I love the guy that I met. I said, this one, I don't know him. And I would not have given him the time of day. Mm -hmm. So I started to compartmentalize him to see the guy that I met and the one that was abusing me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 
And I said to him, I know you now. And he said, now that you know me, he said, now you know that's how I am. Now you know that's how I stay, right? And I said, okay, I know you now. So I just let him go. He parted, he went, he lived outside, he did whatever, he had his girlfriends. And I was here trying to figure out, you know, how to get back over to the other side of the Bronx with my child. And before I could figure out how we're going to do this, this woman came into the mix and she was hell bent on having him and helping him to fight me. And that is where she's going to give me my strength. Because if she hadn't come, I would not have fought him that hard in the divorce. Okay. She came to help him fight me, but he started to give me strength. The more they helped him, the stronger I became. The more they helped him to fight me, was the stronger I became. Because I realized that I only had myself to depend on. You know, I, I, I only had myself to depend on. And my daughter needs me. She needs me mm-hmm. and I have to make sure that I do not expose her to this because this is not a healthy relationship mm-hmm. I put myself in a place that was not healthy but I did not know that in the beginning but I stayed too long because I thought if I helped him and encouraged him to go to counseling that he would mm-hmm. change he did something to me one day when he moved out with the woman and he came back he moved out with that woman and he came back and he he, he he's crying in the in the room there, and I said, "Why are you crying?" And he said, "I want my family back." And I said, "How are you gonna get your family back?" I said, "I never left." He said, "I want to go to counseling." I said, "You want to go to counseling?" He said, "Yes." I thought after all this time, he said, "Make an appointment for me." Mm-hmm. So I made the appointment. I made the appointment. Listen to this carefully. I made the appointment, and the day of the appointment. He picked me up, my daughter up. We were supposed to drop her off at my sister's house. He was late. We drove um, to the Bronx. We had to go through the bridge. And right after the bridge, there is a fork in the road like that. Mm-hmm. In all the years I've been with him, when we get to the fork, he would pick his head up to see if there's traffic going this way because he knows if there's traffic going this way, we're going to get stuck. So he'd pick up his head like this and look. And then if there's traffic, you go to the right, Mm -hmm. onto the other expressway. Mm -hmm. That day, he did not look. He just drove right onto the one that way we get stuck. And there was traffic and we got stuck. And I said, this man does not want to go to therapy. I don't know why he had me book this appointment, right? And I called the therapist and she said she would wait. And we got there an hour and a half later. And he walked in. They had to put my daughter in a a conference room with coloring book, you know, because we didn't get to drop her off. Mm -hmm. And she said to him, how are you doing? Good. She said, why are you here? What's happening? And he said to me, I want a divorce. But he had threatened me with divorce before and had a paralegal write up the paperwork and whatever. And I said, this is not file. You have to do it the right way. Um, so, but he, he he threatened the divorce like it's to a bluff. Like if I threaten to divorce you, you will you will accept my abuse of you, right? And that was not going to happen because, like I said, there was no part of me that could accept him abusing me because he was not doing anything for me that I couldn't do for myself. I was always self sufficient, you know. Mm-hmm. I just happened to merge. I was I just happened to merge with him when 
I went back up a little bit. I went to a, a workshop um, with the author of the book, Why Does He Do That? And it was a workshop for it was a workshop for um, police officers, social workers, people that deal with domestic abuse. And I wasted my way in there with a the company. And I remember listening to everything. And I said, but I don't fit the characteristic of a woman that gets involved in domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. I did not see my parents getting abused. I didn't have anybody abuse me like that. Mm-hmm. I had trauma in my life, but I didn't have anyone abuse me. I was not with children and dependent. I didn't have low self-esteem. So I said to the 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 the, the guy, um, the facilitator of the, of the workshop, I said, everything that you put up on the whiteboard does not fit me. So how come I end up in a life with him? And he said, there's another category for you. You are the big fish. He's so used to getting the small fish. It's easy to get the big fish, the small fish, but you are the big fish. And I said, oh, so that's why he pursued me and pursued me. Relentlessly. Relentlessly. And then when we were, when he realized that I was leaving because this woman is here and she's coming to get whatever she said she wants to get from here. And he said to me that day, you know how hard I have to work to get you. At the end of the marriage, he said that to me. You know, at the, hard... at the therapist's office? No, not the therapist's office. We left the therapist's office. At the therapist's office, he said he wanted a divorce. Okay. When we were when we were in about to get divorced, yes. one day in the yard, but he had his girlfriend, and I found out about her. And he turned to me one day, very angry, and he said, "I put you on a pedestal." I said, "Why are you so angry at me? Why?" Why? And he said, you're supposed to get me to Florida because he, he banked on it that I would work hard and get him to his dream place in Florida where he could have his dream life. And I was not on board because I was being abused. So I'm looking to hop off this train. Yeah. Right. And he said, he said, you're supposed to get me to Florida. He said, you F me. You are supposed to get me to Florida. Mm. He said, do you know how hard I have to work to get you? And I said, oh, so I was a project. I did not know that I was a project. Wow. So he he kept threatening you with divorce. And the last time he did it, you agreed with him wholeheartedly, jumped on the divorce train, and now he's feeling bad. Good. So at the end, you got the driving school he had been doing before. How how were you able to? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. No, I started my own thing. Okay, so you I, didn't do his own. No, I, I um, for 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 about a year and a half, I did because you know it was in my name at that point. You know, oh. his, his lawyer told him to shut it down because it was affecting him and and how his money was. You know, when he went to court with his ex wife and the children, uh-huh. so he was going to close it, and I and I took it over from him. But oh, because wow. he was because he was abusing me. You know, with it, I turned in the license to the government and opened up my own thing under my name. The lady there said, why don't you open up one? And I said, I have to figure out a name. And she said, just call it Annette Driving School. And right away, I did send out the paperwork. And that was the end of it. The lady at the office where you were turning in the license. Yes. You told her why you were turning in the license. She knew because he called her trying to get it in his name. And she said, you can't get it in his name because they don't do that. 
And so I said, I want to give it to him. He can have it. I don't want him to kill me over it. And she said, well, he can't have it. You can turn it in. And I said, okay, I'm going to turn it in. And she said, why don't you open up one of your own? And I said, I guess I have to call it a name because I had no income now, Judith. I had no income. That that man would come to the driving school, take the customers out for the tests and lessons and get the money and keep it and put the receipt in the mailbox because the business was in my name only. So it was showing that I was making X amount of money, but I couldn't account for it because I never got it. So you left your corporate job and everything and faced the family business. Yeah, I got laid off at the corporate job and I decided to come do the family business. I should have done a business for myself, not come into this family business. But like I said, I didn't think that I would experience the stuff that went on, you know, during after uh, a certain time. You know, it was it was it was it was it was a lot. It was a lot. I'm I'm very, very proud of you. And you're such an inspiration because I remember seeing your post about it's now eight years after and running a business all by yourself. Did you get any kind of support, maybe from government organizations? How did that work? And I uh, just, you know, just a short idea because it might be a woman who is in that place where she's like abandoned and doesn't know what to do. How did you cope with all that? Even with the turmoil in your heart, you know, there's the heart part of the whole experience, heartbreak and all of that. What did you do? It was tough because um, when I opened the business and I was running the business, you know, mind you, I went to school to teach. I thought I would have a job teaching for New York City. And during that time, he had me in three different courts. I was in three different courts. So there are days when I had to close the business to go to one court. And two months later, I'm in two courts. You know, he had me dancing in court because he's trying to frustrate me to give up. Right. Mm. And I just tell myself, no matter what happens, do not give up. Do, do not give up. You walk away with your share. If it's a penny, you walk away with that penny. And even his mother cursed me out. He had his mother curse me out. She called me an effing thief, effing bitch, all this stuff that she called me. Mm-hmm. But what I did was I did not get any help from anyone. I just built that business myself because I was in a business where kids turn 16 every day. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the driving school. Mm-hmm. Kids turn 16 every day and they find you. You don't have to find them. They will find you because they are looking. They go on the internet. They look, they find you. And a lot of my business that I do are referrals. Mm-hmm. A lot of it are referrals. And I teach a class online. So that class online, I don't have to really be in the car. I can just be right in front of you right here on Zoom teaching my class. Right. Mm-hmm. And whoever pays $60 per person, then they come on and, you know, that's how I did it and pay the bills and did all the stuff that I had to do. Now I have people coming in now to invest in the business because they've seen I've had it for a long time and I want to grow it and I'm expanding. So now I'm getting financial help and I'm getting other help to scale. But prior to that, it was just me. It was just me and my, you know, just being tenacious and determined and resilient and I had no choice. And I just hunker down, you know, I just hunker down and say, you know, whatever you have to do, you do this to survive. And I did survive. 
Thank you. You're so amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm just what the word I just comes being tenacious and consistent. Yeah. And I find that consistency is the is the bedrock of success. No matter how tiny and insignificant insignificant you think the value mm-hmm. you're bringing is just mm-hmm. keep going. Don't mm-hmm. stop. So there'll be days of Oh my goodness, I'm so, I wish, I, I want to throw, throw in the towel, but you don't throw in the towel. No. You just keep going. So if you wanted to talk to a woman here who is listening to us, who who is in this place of not knowing or in the, in a place of still thinking, what will you tell this woman? I mean, as part of, you know, as we conclude this conversation and watching the story of your life, how you've gone this far and here you are. What will you tell this woman to to tell her about this journey in a in a capsule that she can take away like a pill and swallow it and use it for her own life? Well, there's one thing that I would um it's more than one thing that I would say to a woman, and that is do not carry the burden of shame because you end up in domestic abuse. It is so easy to blame yourself and to feel embarrassed, ashamed, and feel like you want to hide from the world because you cannot tell anybody that you, a woman with some sense, end up in a situation that does not make sense. So try your best not to carry that shame and to understand that there is help out there. And when you are ready, when you are ready, because there is joy on the other side, when you get out of that situation, there is a life that awaits you that is happy and joyful and free from all that stuff that you're dealing with. But before you can do that, you have to be aware that you're in a domestic abusive situation and also come to an agreement with yourself that you do not want to live this kind of life and do one thing that I did not do. I did not plan my exit in secret. And when he found out, it got worse. So if you are thinking about leaving, plan your exit in secret. You may have one person, trusted friend that you are a family member that you can say to. But remember, if it goes past that one person, it's going to get out of control. Right. Or you hold on to it until it's time for you to make that step. But plan your exit in secret because whenever you decide to leave, it gets worse. For me, it got worse when I decided no more. If I had planned it in secret, I would have escaped some of the things that happened at the end. I want to say to you that we're women. We are resilient. We are warriors. We are fighters. There is a spark inside of us that gets put out when we end up in this situation but the light is not completely out. It may be covered with ashes, the ashes of um, domestic abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, physical abuse. Those are ashes that covers up our light. But just understand that there's still something burning there that you can work with. And that is starting to ask yourself, who am I? And that is the one question I ask myself, who am I? And why was I put here on this earth? And it certainly was not to be abused by anyone. And that is a starting point. Thank you so much, Annette. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Okay. I want to say thank you so much. 
Thank Gina. you very much. I'm looking forward to other conversations. When Cracked okay. Edges comes out, when Cracked I Edges know. comes out, you're going to be oh. on this podcast. Oh, that's a doozy. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much. In part one of Annette's story, that was last week's episode of Messy Can't Stop Her. I introduced her as the lady with the great comeback story. I hope you can see why now. Annette's story is a great encouragement to any one of us who might be going through a hard time <laughs> and thinking, when is it going to end? I did everything right. And yet see where I am. Be encouraged because if you hang in there, no matter how long it looks or how tough the times are, one day it will be in your past and you'll be living in the dream that you had. And that's why we say, let's encourage each other. Let's build one another up to have our dreams, to hold on to our dreams, to resume dreaming. Because when we do that, messy won't stop us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messy Can't Stop Her. See you next time.